Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to another Rahalastapa book club. Uh, these seem to be going okay. I'm glad you're enjoying them. Uh, I'm really enjoying doing it. It's a great way to read more books or listen to more books in my case mainly and uh, I hope you are reading the books as well. This week we're talking to Matt Winning about Hot Mess um, which is a fabulous book about climate change and what we can do to hopefully uh, prevent or at least make the make it less awful uh, as things are looking slightly bad. It's a funny book though and this is a funny podcast. Uh, I hope you will enjoy it. And do let me know if you think there are any books I should be reading and any authors I should be talking to on this podcast. And do check out richchain.com slash gigs to find out if Rahalastapa is coming somewhere near you soon. Let's sit back, relax and enjoy Rahalastapa Booker with Matt Winning. Hello, welcome to another Rahalastapa book club. It's very refined. It's very different than normal Rahalastapa. We're very intellectual here and it's, it's going to be a wonderful uh, evening or morning or afternoon, wherever you are. Today we are talking to Matt Winning, Dr. Matt, Matt Winning, about his book Hot Mess. Hello, Matt. Hi, Richard Herring. If I can... Am I allowed to call you Am I allowed to call you Matt rather than Dr. Matthew Winning? Uh, absolutely. Am I okay calling yeah. you Richard Herring? You are, yeah, so you have to be, it has to be the full, full named great Richard, okay. Richard Herring. No, don't, uh, don't call me Rich or anything like that. No, this is the sophisticated podcast. This is the one. It is. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Herring. You Mr. Herring. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> Matt's fine for me, but if you want Mr. Herring, that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, Matt, tell us a little bit about who you are, first of all. Because you've got, you're, you're a comedian, but there's more to you than being a comedian. More, so let, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you, what you, how you describe yourself. I, I, yeah, more to me than meets the eye. I am a climate change researcher and a stand-up comedian, and I've been doing both of those for about thirteen years now. Right. And it's a bit of an odd combination. Um, yeah, and and it was very much I had two careers for quite a while, where it was like a day job, and then and a lot of comedians do have day jobs when they start out as well. Yeah. It's just most of them have you know day jobs that they want to give up and aren't helping anyone <laughs> uh so i never <laughs> i never really felt in a position to be like yeah I, sh I should um you know start just keep going to uh hereford on a friday night and entertaining <laughs> drunk people rather than trying to help the planet um so i never really gave it up and then about five years ago i started doing comedy about climate change because I thought right. I'd try and make my, my uh, life a bit easier. So that's what I do now, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where, that, presumably that's where the book uh, has come from. So the book's called Hot Mess. Uh, how did, so tell us how the book came, came about and how it came to, and how it came <clears throat> to be, yeah, how, how you came to come up with the idea. Yeah. So I did, I've done three Edinburgh Fringe shows about climate change, which is a lot of Edinburgh Fringe shows about one specific topic. Uh, and yeah. uh, and that was so I'd done two shows the first ever show that I did uh, no I, I should in fact if I go all the way back right because this is this is this is the, the in-depth part um, I mean you're yeah. you're partially to, to to blame for the fact that I'm 
doing this? Not me. Not me again. It's, it's, always, is, my it's fault. always your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, not for climate change, but you, no, you're, you're doing. A, you've done a good thing. You've, you've, you're to blame for me writing a book about climate change. Okay. Um, I. Uh, yeah, I used to watch you guys back in the uh, late 90s. And I, yeah. I think I was the only person at my school that watched it regularly. <laughs> and I used to I used to try and chat up girls in our English class by quoting lines from uh, This Morning with Richard, not Judy, to not yeah. great success. No, no, it wouldn't not, work. It really didn't work. <laughs> um, as a teenager, I mean, you've got to try stuff. And then, uh, and then I discovered you and... Uh, the the other chaps uh, stand live stand up uh, again sort of about a decade later when I was in a pretty pretty um, sort of I was living with my parents I just started a PhD and you know but I, I, I split up with a girl it wasn't on a great time I was like I'm going to start doing stand up it's something I'd always wanted to do and you know and sort of got got into that properly and then here we are you know whatever 13 years later and I you know, still do this. I met my wife doing stand-up, all that sort of stuff. So in a way, you are to blame for this book. Um, good. In a good way. If people like it, then that's a good thing. And if people hate it, yeah. you're also to blame for it. That's true. Um, but if it, if it saves the world, then I've sort of exactly. saved the world. Exactly. You've done some... Yeah, you okay. didn't realise you were doing it, but, but you had some... <laughs> Some part to play, uh, and then so I did a I did a show in twenty fifteen was my first like hour long Edinburgh show, and that was about how Robert Mugabe was my dad, um, <laughs> which uh, was I think it was quite a good show, um, but it was yeah. absolute nonsense. Uh, and then I tried to talk about climate change a little bit in my the, the next show, um, but it wasn't very good. And I got a, a review. You you've yeah probably experienced this sort of thing. I got a review saying um, he doesn't. Like it was funny, but he didn't really say anything, <laughs> and I didn't intentionally didn't say anything because I thought, well, people don't want to hear me banging on about you know serious stuff all the time. Um, but the review was like, yeah, he didn't really say anything. So my reaction to that was uh, in the following show was to just do an hour comedy lecture about climate change, and I was like, right. that's it. That's I'll just it's just going to be about climate change, and it's going to be that and and it's going to be saying something just just for an hour and then um yeah and that went remarkably well um i was quite surprised um if i'm honest and then since then yeah i sort of have have pretty much only done comedy about that and then after the third show so 2019 i did a show i then got approached by a publisher to write a book and i was like oh yeah that sounds great i'll have lots of time to do that and um then uh, we found out we were having a baby, and then a pandemic hit, and all that sort of stuff sort of yeah happened. So I've written the book, and I've had a child, um, and now uh, well, my life has continued again a little bit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. beginning to continue we're back, we're again. Back. We're back. It's kind of it's kind of interesting that it took you so long to think of putting the two careers <laughs> together. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I can save myself some time here. But yeah, well, it's hard to say that I enjoyed the book because it's, you know, it's, I did enjoy it, but it's, but also it's quite, it's sort of quite depressing, but then there's hope, there's hope. And yeah. and, and I think it's, what I like about it is it's, uh, at least feels like a realistic approach to it. So it's not doom and gloom. It's not, it's not life is over, you yeah. know, there's nothing we can do, which, you know, may be the case, but it's, there's no point in saying that. I, think, I feel like, 
with with this, you sort of think, oh, we know we're fucked anyway. We we might as well just enjoy the next fifteen years <laughs> and then all burn in hell, which I think is a lot of people's sort of attitude to it. But you, this book does um, lay some I, some trails out how we can get out of this. Yeah, and and I think that the problem is that that attitude of <laughs> we're all fucked, we might as well do nothing, isn't very helpful because we're not. No, we're not actually. I mean, we're a, a, a little bit, a, a wee bit fucked. But if everybody thinks we are and that they don't do anything, then we are fucked. So it's so, sort of a self-reinforcing thing that we need to, um, yeah, have some hope. And we need to try and uh, kind of get... I guess this was my, my intention with the book was to try and reach people that wouldn't normally read books about climate change, which is yeah. most people. Yes. Well, I think, but that's why comedy, you know, it's a weird subject. I mean, some people, not comedians, but some people would feel, oh, that's, it's a very serious subject. It's weird to do comedy about it. Obviously, the serious subjects are often great to do comedy about because it's it's the best way to to get ideas across is by making people laugh. And and, and yeah, an hour, three hour long lectures at the Edinburgh Fringe about why we should, you know, we worried about climate change probably wouldn't have the same traction as three comedy shows. Yeah, if you just do lectures, people are like, yeah, well, we're not going to that again. That was very enjoyable. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it, it, um, it hopefully achieves that. There's, there's sort of a balance, like, I think it helps people cope a little bit with it. I think that's one aspect. And then also I think it's a much better way of learning is if you're enjoying yourself because you remember the teachers at school that were you know you enjoyed the classes and the fun stuff sure whereas the ones you just remember hating the other people um yeah and so yeah i guess especially with something so important that's relevant to every single person on the planet's life it feels like we should make an effort uh yeah. to sort of get give them uh, a semi digestible way of 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 understanding the the issue sure and and well you've used your own personal life within it as well because throughout the book it's uh, your own story of having your you know finding out your wife's pregnant and 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 the journey there and finding out whether your baby was going to be bad for the environment and whether <laughs> whether we should have less babies all that sort of uh, stuff yeah yeah which is so that's good and you uh, include your Possibly fictitious friend Ian and his his life story. Yeah, he's a, he's well. an amalgamation of other friends of mine. Um, uh, uh, yeah, someone who's uh, yeah. You need someone in there that's a sort of uh, to be made fun of. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, I yeah. I think that's the other way to do it is to you know if you personalise things, it makes it much more hopefully more accessible and a lot more. I think so. The problem with climate change specifically is that I think a lot of people feel uh, it's a bit preachy at times, and that the, that the person telling you is telling you what to do. You know, you need to stop doing these fun things, and this, I'm I'm no more than you. And I, so I think the messenger is the other um, part, and we've seen that as well, actually, with even just politically, with like say Al Gore has been the main, I guess, messenger that people would associate yeah. with climate change and that's been a massive problem because it's sort of been like well then it becomes an issue of a certain political party or whatever yeah. so i think you know who is the, who is telling you stuff to the messenger is actually about as important as what the message is in the way that that's told so hopefully it makes me more accessible and, and less preachy and a bit more of a normal i mean yeah showing me i'm just a normal guy <laughs> trying to cope with all this stuff that other people are doing while thinking about um the end of the world as we know it constantly 
but it's also good that you know so you know like it is your job you know so much about it uh you know you're able to sort of debunk pretty easily the the conspiracy theorists or the people who who, yeah. who think nothing's going on yeah. um and and you know and explain why that stuff has uh has permeated and come through which is all very interesting and quite terrifying yes and, that's yeah that's uh yeah yeah it's part partly sort of uh yeah, I think that's an interesting part of the book. I'll, I'll let people read it, but yeah, it's sort of more about. I don't think people quite understand how much was done by, uh, oh, shall we say, sort of people with vested interests in yeah. continuing to burn fossil fuels uh, to to sort of confuse people a bit. And, that, and that's been the main thing. It's like if people were just sort of a bit unsure, it's not like they want people to be against climate change. They just want me make, to make people feel like, well, I don't really know if this is a thing. You know, I'm not 100% sure. And if, if you make people feel sort of a bit uncertain, then they're a lot more likely to be like, well, maybe we should wait a little bit longer until we find out for sure. And you're like, no, we know, we've known, we've known for decades. And, uh, you know. Anyway. Well, that's the weird thing about it, isn't it? You know, I remember, like, I think I remember in the eighties, people talking about this. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, and um, if we presumably just made those, or even just started to edge towards those changes in the eighties, then presumably we wouldn't be in quite as much trouble as we're in now. Yeah, pretty much. I think it's one of those ones where, yeah, if we actually started taking it seriously, um, but it's such a human reaction, isn't it? We never, you know, I, I've been. I need to go to the dentist in two weeks' time and get five fillings. I can't even look right. after my own teeth, despite <laughs> warnings from people with you know who do this every day. Even then, I think I know better than the dentist. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll get an electric toothbrush at some point and I'll sort this out. And of course, then they're like, well, no, this is terrible, and you need five fillings. And now, only now, when I've like got to the point where there's already a bit of damage am i like okay i'll sort of better sort this out properly and that's pretty much what we've done we've waited two and a half decades maybe three decades <laughs> of damage and we've gone now basically in the last few years everybody's a bit like oh yeah they said this was gonna happen the, the shit's hitting, hitting the fan we should really do something about this and and there's only half the amount of time that there was to you know to solve it I mean, you sort of talk about in the book a little bit about how there might be solution, you know, there might be scientific solutions to it, and there already are a few. I mean, I was reading in the paper yesterday that they're going to start putting uh, masks on cows' faces <laughs> to catch to catch methane. The but the but cows' burps are a big trouble. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. The farts were as well, though, so they need a mask for the back as well if they're going to do one for the front. Some sort of. I don't know quite how the mask works and collects the methane and stops it going into the atmosphere. No, I, 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 seems... I saw that and I, I immediately thought, well, that's good for stand-up material at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that. But yeah, cows, <laughs> I mean, is there going to be some sort of anti-masker cow movement as well? <laughs> we're going to end up with, we're going to end up with, you know, cows protesting in the streets against having to wear them on public transport. I don't know. And, and climate, you know, you've got the mask movement, you've got the climate change thing. I mean, it's ripe, isn't it, for some sort of conspiracy theory? Um, it, it's it's very weird. But there's other, you know, there's sucking the carbon dioxide out of the out of the air, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or collecting it at source, yeah, and, and bur burying it. <laughs> Whatever you're gonna do with it. <laughs> yeah, there's sort of these big sort of you know James Bond villain type uh, solutions that are all sort of like, yeah, we can. We can just, you know, have machines that suck carbon out of the air, which, you know, again, we can do, but it's probably, 
we need to scale that up very, very quickly. It's, it's like there's such a big difference when I read these stories and I'm like, yeah, all these solutions are great, but we need all of them and we need all of them like to start happening now and loads of them you know, over the next 30 years. So, yeah, it's always tricky. Newspapers love having that. They love having like a, a headline that's like, the one thing that might solve climate change. And my answer is always just like, no, we need every every single thing that might solve climate change needs to happen. But yes, yeah, so we might suck it out of the atmosphere. There's also sort of like refreezing the Arctic has been something that people have suggested, um, which I think is, you know, I don't, you're not supposed to refreeze stuff, are you? I don't know <laughs> if that's a good idea or not. Um but yeah, I think some of this might end up happening if we if we get too far sort of down a path where. Um, but then that becomes dangerous. Like who's in charge? Who's in charge of that? And you know, it becomes very James Bond esque. Like who's the uh, yeah who who who's responsible for shooting gases into the sky to cool the planet or whatever, or they set off volcanoes to keep the planet cool and stuff like that. It's more a lot easier to just sort of change how we drive and how we get our electricity and stuff like that yeah so i mean you do sort of there's there is this element and, and you sort of acknowledge that on a on a small scale that the, the things that we can do as individuals don't make that much difference or, or there's recycling for example you're quite there's there's not much point in it for, for, in terms of stopping <laughs> the global warming uh, but taking well cars and an airplane taking flights i suppose is the is the big thing right yeah for yeah us as individuals yeah and it's that sort of individual we live in such an individualistic society that it's sort of it's very easy to write articles and to write things for people because people want things in a sort of individual way <laughs> if the solution is well you need to get together with lots of people in your community and have a really nice you know think about stuff and discuss things people are like well then i need to talk to susan next door and i can't really be bought we, we just like these individual solutions <laughs> because it feels like the way societies certainly western societies set up it's like well that must be the way we're going to solve this and we can't, we can't really, but as you, you know, as you say, yeah, trans, personal transport, how you get about, um, whether you take, you know, how you get on holiday and also probably what you eat. Those are the main things that we can do stuff about. But yeah. even that's like, you know, a bit of what you can do. You know, it's maybe like at the most half, but probably a lot less. Yeah, I, well, there's a, there's an astonishing statistic, which I can't remember off the top of my head about the, the percentage of people who take, you know, there's a tiny percent of people who take nearly all the flights in the world, for example. So it's it's these super rich yes. people yeah, yeah. who are who, who are who are driven. It's sort of insane, isn't it? They're driven by profit to the extent that <laughs> they're not worried about destroying the world. No. Where well, money will become meaningless, you know, or not. If if we're all living in a kind of terrible post-apocalyptic world. Money will be meaningless. They'll have no power, yeah. and they'll have they'll have built this kind of juggernaut that's destroyed the world, and then uh, have you know have nothing left. So it's 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 yeah. kind of it's, it's human nature, but it's it's sort of crazy. I think yeah, and and what they'll do is they'll make sure that there's enough done so that they can still hold on to everything that they have, and the world doesn't quite collapse. Right. But only just enough. It's always like we do just enough to keep things sort of the same so that we can hold, you know, some people can hold on to power and still fly to, you know, on holiday to the south of France every two weeks or whatever and keep consuming that way. But, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll do just enough to make sure that people feel that something's been done. But 
but we won't actually solve the problem properly. Um, it's very much like, yeah, doing... Uh, I, was, I was talking about how our solution to climate change, it feels like cramming before an exam. That's how society is responding to this. It's like, we could have done you know, done really well. We could have solved everything, got a really good mark, but we'll wait until the day before and then we'll try and do as much as we possibly can. <laughs> we might have to cheat just to get over the line or whatever, and then we'll get a very average pass mark and that will be it. So it, it, feel, it, it feels, I mean, the book is very inspiring, I think, and it does make, you know, it made me think, oh, maybe I used to be vegetarian and, you know, mm. now I now I, I still eat some vegetarian food, but I, uh, I, you know, I eat meat much more regularly than your book recommends. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and it's, but it did make me think, oh, what can I do? You know, it did make you think, yeah, we have to do something about this. So we may be sort of approaching a tipping point because if, if, if enough people in the public do sort of get behind it, then also it's presumably worth some billionaire's time to find the solutions to it because they'll be able to monetize the solutions. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what you see, like when you eat, yeah, these, you know, the bur- whatever it is, meat-free uh, burgers and stuff. I eat quite a lot of those because I just, you know, it's very difficult to change your entire, you know outlook and who you are as a parent like, you know I, I just enjoy yeah. terrible food and 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 if the solution is well you need to eat lots of really good nice food but that's cooked well and is vegetarian i'm like well i just want something awful um <laughs> so somebody's clearly come along and spent time investing in these sort of you know meat-free burgers and stuff like that so that there's clearly a market of people like me out there who want to buy that stuff and there's yeah there's money to be made in it which is uh i think you know, in the the current setup that we are in, you know, the way that society is currently run in a sort of democratic capitalist system, that's how you will solve this um, quickly. You know, you can go the other route and sort of end capitalism and all that sort of stuff, which I'm, you know, fine if you know if, if you can if you can do that, go absolutely go ahead and do it. Um, I just think it's yeah given that we need to solve this um, predominantly in the next 10 years and, and by the next sort of 28 years or something, you know, um, probably just uh, work on all the, all the possible options, whether that's, yeah. yeah. But, it, you know, it also does feel like politicians are now, you know, again, 20 years ago, sort of the, certainly the more right-wing politicians, but even, you know, I, I mean, even left-wing politicians in this country weren't giving it the credence and were poo-pooing it. And now it does feel like at least they're, they're giving lip surface to the idea that we that we should be worrying about the environment. And I suppose the electric car, everything that's happened with electric cars, I kind of find it funny that you can't afford to buy an electric <laughs> yeah, car yeah, yeah. As, as, a, as, a, as a climate. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, it's which is obviously most people's problem yeah. with, with that. But, um, it's, uh, but I think that will... Yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. start to change. I think I mean, it looks like the, yeah. looks like they that that is where the car manufacturers are heading anyway. Absolutely, and that's the thing that you know some people will still say, oh, you know, what's this is going to make us worse off or whatever, or you know, the you know electric cars are like a very uh, you know I don't know niche middle class thing. It's fine if you can afford it, but all all the big companies, you know, Ford, all of their cars produced in Europe will be electric in twenty thirty. Like it's mm. just the direction of travel. If if big, you know, capitalist companies are committing to this and are like, well, no, this is where it's going. That's clear. You know, they they're not ahead of the curve. They clearly understand 
well, that's the trajectory and they've looked into it and it's just everybody's, you know, committing to it. And so I think, yeah, with all, with vehicles, we'll look back in yeah, 10 years' time and be like, oh, yeah, it's a bit mad that we kept, you know, having cars that had small explosions in the front of them um, and that we had to fix all the time because of that for, like, such a long time. And, it's, you yeah. know, and we had them for, like, 100 years or however long it was without something new that came along that kind of revolutionised that industry. And I think with cars, with cars as well, I think you cover this as well. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think you do. It's, you know, we've all got cars uh, and, or not we've all got them, but there's so many cars out there that aren't being used. And, you know, some kind of system where, I mean, I've seen this with the, with the idea of autonomous cars that hopefully in the future, when you need a car, you'll just tap something <laughs> into your phone and the car will arrive at your house and you'll go, go somewhere in it and you won't actually have your own car. You'll all just... Everyone will share the cars. It makes more sense, really, doesn't it? It does. Like, yeah. as a way, like, it's such an expensive thing to have yeah. for how much you use it. And I, yeah, so the, I talk in the book how we, I bought my first ever car because basically we moved to the countryside to stop our child, you know, having to deal with car pollution. And it meant that then because we moved to the countryside, we had to buy a car. <laughs> um, which is again is the society that we live in the way it's set up it's like yeah it's in the city it's awful and polluted so move somewhere else but if you move somewhere else there's not the public transport to go around so you need so i don't know what the best thing to do is but i had to buy a car but um but i'd also bought a house for the first time which meant i had no money whatsoever and was like <laughs> i need the cheapest car i possibly can get in like a week's time and it's mad because it's such a big you know, we only buy cars or whatever, these sort of big things every now and again. Even then, if it's like a you know a house or a, a fridge, these things, these big goods that we only buy every now and again, that's where the, y- you need to intervene when someone is like, well, I need one of these quite quickly and I, I need to have the be- you know the greenest option. And we're just not really intervening at those points because I had a week and I was like, well, there's just uh, there's none of these options for me. I'm going to have to go for a secondhand car from somewhere, you know, and I was like, well, I'll get the smallest one I can. I'll make sure it's secondhand. But even then it's like, I would like to make better choices, but I don't have the time because, you know, I've got a child that needs to be taken to the hospital soon or whatever, you know, it's just stuff like that where, you know, we need to be intervened, you know, and that's, I guess that's the other thing. People often think of climate change as being like, well, we don't want to go into, you know, people's homes we don't want to intervene with their lives too much and make them feel like we're making them do all these things but then you need what you need to do then is find well when are they making these changes when are they going to i don't know insulate their house so you you know you want to do that when somebody's getting a loft conversion or whenever it is but you need something that makes it really super easy for people to go well i'm doing this so i'll do this at the same time or i'll you know or here's the green option to do this big thing that will actually make some difference but at the moment it's such a difficult thing for individuals to do to because as you said it's it's sort of like you look at it and you go well okay there's a few things i can do but you know i've got the car that i have right now and i've got you know i eat i might be able to change my food or whatever and it's like there's doesn't feel like there's a lot you can do um but then that's what i try and talk about at the end of the book because that's one of the questions i get asked a lot it's like what can I do about climate? You know, it's the main thing I think people want to know. But it's it's trying to expand the idea of what action on climate change is. So as we said at the start of the show, you doing comedy inspired me to do comedy. And now there's a book about climate change and other people are 
you know, changing their behavior maybe based on my book. So, you you know, in, in a way you, I know that's a very tenuous example, but it's it's something where you have to think beyond you as an individual again, because if you think about you and your own emissions, it's not actually going to achieve that much because your emissions are small because you're just one person. But if you think about, you know, your family and your friends and the fact that you have a podcast with, you know, I presume millions of listeners. Mill, absolutely. Millions. Billions. Probably billions. billions. Yeah, yeah. Probably billions. Probably, I mean, yeah. you know. Probably the amount of global warming coming from people just listening to this on their devices is probably the main cause. <laughs> it's probably the main, the main thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, either you switch them off just now or you try and, you know, switch them over. In fact, you, you funnily enough, you and I, I think, um, were slightly ahead of the curve because I remember you used to advertise uh, – switching to a renewable energy provider that then has recently gone to the wall. <laughs> and, and I keep getting messages from my friends saying, well, you told us to switch provider. <laughs> you've absolutely fucked us. Um, yeah. But I did that and I, I sort of tried to, and you probably were able to as well, I tried to keep track of, you know, how many people would switch energy provider based on me suggesting it and you look at the size of that impact well that's you know it's probably about 10 times the size of anything that i could have done even as an individual you know if i stopped existing none of that would have happened so is either you have to think about it like you're in uh it's a wonderful life or something like that you know you think (laughs) you think the world's better without you but actually you know think of all the positive impacts you're making and use your own you know avenues whether that's you with you know snooker is probably a very uh you know good you're not motor racing against yourself that's true you know, so that's true yeah. i'm doing the best you're i can doing the best you can Richard. <laughs> what do you think what's the if we ever get out of this nightmare with the, the energy provider is there is there is there another good renewable, renewable energy company that isn't going to go to the wall and cost billions of pounds for the government to <laughs> yeah, rescue yes there are there are um, i mean there's quite a few Where there. Should, Octopus is a good one. Is it? Give, do I get fifty pounds every time someone signs up? I hope up? so. I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, whoever we see, the problem is whoever we see will end up going to the wall at some point in the future. So we need to. It's, it is a bit. It's a big shame. You know, it's a big shame about that. And it, it was. Is, yeah. You know, it did. I mean, I guess you're right. Over those years that it was, which you know, four four or so years, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that was. It was. It was doing the right thing, and I think the energy companies will move that way, partly because they'll be forced to by there being no no energy coming in from other places. <laughs> well, so I think yeah, we're going to exactly. go to more more renewable kind of yeah, uh, yeah. avenues. Again, such a shame that that wasn't done when you know people were talking about it twenty years ago. But yeah, yeah. it's it is you know hopefully hopefully there's uh, but it, yeah yeah in the UK certainly yeah I think offshore wind specifically is really you know going to take off and. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's people, there's like other things where you can like part own, you can buy shares and like wind farms and stuff like that. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of, uh, I've not done it myself. I always feel weird because I don't know whether to, I always try to remain as neutral as possible if I possibly can, because I feel like as an academic, I'm supposed to be impartial, but also you want as an individual to support these things. So I, I don't know, it's a, bit, it's a, it's a weird one. Um, but yeah, there's lots we can do. I think that, you know, your pension, for instance, I don't know, you're a self-employed individual, so I don't know if you have... I don't think I've got a pension. ...thought about, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, that sort of thing. But like where your money is, the bank that you use, for instance, 
what because they are off spending your money so you want to you know say to your bank well i'd like you to spend my money on nice things and not um you know investing in more fossil fuels that sort of thing um yeah and like in people's jobs i think that's the other thing so i do quite a lot of now going out and speaking to uh companies and stuff like that as well because they all want to be green but also they don't want to depress their staff (laughs) and uh but but there's actually it's a lot easier to change as a company because it is lots of individuals but you've also got a big much bigger impact and you can kind of get everybody to buy into the change and stuff and yeah so i think you know thinking beyond us as individuals is really important you know as a community Mm -hmm. as a town where you live or wherever as a the business that you're in as a you know politic you know what you do is a you know from a political perspective or whatever who you vote for campaign for that sort of thing all can be climate action you know it's all things you can do about climate change but it's just expanding how you see it and it's not just like oh i need to not eat a burger tonight you know yeah but that's 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 a start but yeah yeah well yeah so obviously move, do make, that if let's you move on yeah but no it is you know it's, it's a terrific book for that and i think because it's it is entertaining and it is funny you you know the, the as as i think when i start i think i'd like to said you were doing i'm like tweeting and going when you've read the first part of the book you go, this is quite depressing <laughs> and horrifying but i think once you get to the end of the book it is you know there is there is hope there and you know i think that's and i think if more people the more people who can just get this message across, however they're going to get it across, reading the book is a great way to do it. I listen to the audio book, oh, which you? I always re- recommend. Yeah, how did you find the, doing the audio book? Because as, as a, as a stand up, it, it must be kind of nice to be able to deliver your yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your jokes as you as you intend them to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a few people asked me; they were like, "Oh, are you going to get someone else to do it?" And I was like, well, "I don't trust anybody to deliver these jokes." I mean, maybe another comedian, but I was like, "That seems a bit of a waste of time." Um, yeah, it was good. The problem was having a uh, uh, having a full time job and a small child, and then <laughs> trying to do. So the first day was great, and I was like in, and I was like bang, 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 bang. This is great. <laughs> it was flowing. I was enjoying it. The second day, it was I was a bit more tired, but I was sort of okay getting through. But you know, you're talking about like seven hours of talking a day. You know, and as, <laughs> as a stand up, it's like an hour and you're done, whereas you're doing about seven, eight hours. So the second day I was like, oh, it's still good, but I think it was a bit slower than I would have. And then I think the next day my son woke up at 4.30 a.m. or something like, yeah, I got no sleep and I was already so tired after the previous two days. And maybe I had like half a can of beer and was like, felt hung over the next day as you do as a new dad. And it was, it was so atrocious. So the last third of the book, I presume is awful. If you listen I to an audio, I didn't notice any change no, it, in, in quality as it was. It on. was fucking off. Some of the <laughs> takes, I did, like just basic words that I couldn't pronounce and stuff like that. And the per- and by that day, I think the animals. So the person was really lovely, but but the, the third day, I think they were a bit tired as well of me, and I was just <laughs> horrible because I was like, I just want to go to sleep and get this done. So it didn't feel like that way. It felt like I, so. I th- but I think there were. I th- personally think the last third of the book sort of split into three actually i'll come back to that in a second because 
it's relevant to you if, if we go back in a second. Um, but the last third of the book is my favourite third, and I think it's the best because I'd already been writing it for so long. I think I was into a bit of a flow. I think it's pretty interesting. So if you read the book, I think it gets progressively better as it goes along from the first to the second to the third parts. If you listen to it, I imagine it's the exact opposite experience. And that by the end of it, you're like, well, this is kind of uplifting, but he sounds like he wants to kill himself. Um, but yes the book so the book's broke into three parts and that joke i think was heavily influenced by one of your jokes right um which is uh the so i say and it works well written down as well because it says um should you know there's three questions we need to ask ourselves about climate change should we change must we change? No, can we change? And will we change? And then I say, and they also happen to be the same three questions you will be asked at any job interview for a bureau de change. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that subconsciously, because I just remembered recently when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like, and I remembered your joke about to be, there's a one about to be or not to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was like, what was it, the first, what was it, the first and only... <laughs> So the first only question on the University of Beekeeping entrance. Exactly. Exam. And I'm pretty sure that was subconsciously in there because it was just like, and it was like, I basically stole, I took one of Al Gore's uh, TED Talks and, and he that's his headings at the start of it. And I basically okay. was like, because that was the way I wrote one of the shows was just to take some slides from someone else that I understood, but then be like, okay, how do you make this fun? Like, how do I write jokes about this? Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that was heavily influenced by you. That, oh well, look at that. That's good. Good. I'll I'll take some of the uh, of your massive uh, the money you've made from this. I'm sure <laughs> will be huge, huge, huge amount at the back end. Oh yeah. Um, uh, was it easy to get it published? Just as a as a kind of writer's question, was it? Was it? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's. There's no other person in the world. Actually, there's one guy on on YouTube now that does comedy about climate change. That's very good, and he's in America. Thankfully, he's in America. Uh, but there's, he's on YouTube called Climate Town. If you look up a guy called Rolly Williams, and he's got a background in comedy and knows that he's got a master's degree. He's not got a doctor. You know, it's not a PhD in climate change, but he's not, you know he knows a bit. Um, he's very good. Um, but that's the only other person in the world that I've found that has done comedy about climate change that isn't uh, dog shit. <laughs> um, because doing you know uh, doing I, I i would never wanted to be a science comedian if you know what i mean because yeah. you get those people and i was as a comedian you know i would i did the circuit for eight years and i was always like well wow, that's not really comedy is it that's just sort of you're playing to a very niche audience and then i realized that they were very clever people who'd decided to get an audience and uh <laughs> do jokes on a, a you know science which you know is interesting um yes. so i've sort of s s completely done a 180 on that and now i'm like okay yeah okay we can do comedy about science but it has to be good because i've seen so much bad comedy about science yeah. in my career that i was like and i think that's why i didn't do it for like eight years or nine years because i'd just seen so much stuff that put me off doing comedy about a serious subject and i didn't want to be bad at it 
Yeah, it is. It's a you know, it's a skill, and it's it's a certain way. You know, I think it, I think it's a good a good way of doing. It. I think to start going right, I'm going to take a serious subject and be funny about it. That's not how you start being a stand-up comedian. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you need yeah. to learn how. To, you need to learn. Uh, similarly, you can't just go up to be a climate scientist on day one and go, "I've got it, guys." <laughs> I've got it. You need a little bit of time to you know to work out what you do. So I think it's a good idea yeah. to become. I think the way you've done it is is absolutely the right way to do it. And then after a little time, you go, oh, I'm interested in this subject and let's see if I can make it funny. And I think, you know, I think it's especially great when it is, when it's a subject that would make most people go, oh, God, this, you know, I've just written a book about uh, my cancer, you know, which is a joke, is a subject that most people would go, oh, well, that's, you can't write a funny book about that. But, you know, it's largely a a funny book about having cancer because, you know, you've got the, you've got the skills and the tools to be able to do it and you can, you can spot what's funny and you can also spot, where you have to be serious as well, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. I think with open spots, they sometimes, you know, they think, "Oh, so shock humor is just about saying you're a pedo or whatever." And it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a little bit more than that. So you, you know, you really need to be in command of it. And so it is the right way of doing it. Did you find moving from stand up to writing a book like a big shift, or or did it or did it flow quite naturally? Yeah, it was a big shift. I, I think yeah. obviously I do a lot of writing anyway as an academic so i have to write papers all the time that are very dry and so the referencing and the sort of research part of it wasn't very tricky what i normally do though is go and normally i'm like really in depth in a subject from an academic point of view whereas with this one i'm trying to cover pretty much all of climate change in a book so any of the chapters that i look at normally i would write like you know much more about but i had to be sort of like well here's a chapter on transport and like i spent a week researching and writing it and then it was like okay the next chapter move on and you have to completely switch that research bit off and just put you know draw a line under it and then move on to like okay now we're talking about food and researching on that so it felt like a very sort of intensive researcher way of doing it and then from the stand-up perspective i had I think what was nice was not having to be quite as funny all the time. So I went from every line has to have a joke to every paragraph has to have a joke. <laughs> very yeah. sort of like, I've got a very academic way of, I think, of doing things, which is just like, you know, okay, what's the formula to, to, to doing this well? Um, and I think that was, yeah, sort of, there's a bit more space to not be funny and exp- Blame things. I, I really, I think that's the struggle with doing stand-up shows is that some things require quite a bit of explanation. And yes. and if you've got you know five minutes on carbon markets and how they work on stage, people <laughs> will you know probably start booing quite quickly. Um, yeah, it's, the yes. punchlines are very rarely worth the long setup. Whereas in the book, you can get away with actually sort of like explaining why things are important and talking sure. about them. Um, sure. Yeah. Cool. cool. No. Well, look. I think it's a. I think it's a really important book. You know, and I think in terms of exactly what you're saying that there's because there's nobody else or one other person <laughs> combining these these two attributes. I think it it really is a a, a massively helpful way of of getting people just engaged with the subject. And I think a lot of a lot of the problem is people feel they're being. I think that when anything changes, it's like the older generation feels they're being criticised yeah. because the younger generation want to do something differently, and it's not about no, that. It's not, not at it's all. It's about doing the way the way you used to do things. They that I, as an older <laughs> generation person, used to do things might have been right then, or it might have been wrong, but we didn't know. But you know, the circumstances change, and I think it's about not 
you just I think you're exactly right because I think that the you know it, being too um, lecturing about it it just absolutely puts people off. So I think what what's really great about this book is that you're laughing, but also it's not going. You have to do yeah, this, yeah. and what are you thinking? <laughs> do you want? Don't you? What about the little babies dying? You know, it's it's yeah. it's it's very thoughtful and reasonable. And you know, I think you, I think in both ways, you put you put you pull both ways in it. In that, I think it it's tempting to just be doom and gloom and say, you know, this is pr- pretty much over unless we do things right now. You know, it's realistic, and I think you sort of say, you know, the world won't end; it just won't be. Yeah, exactly. It won't be. It won't be so. It won't be so good. Yeah, people will still be here. They'll just be in a, a more unpleasant circumstances. Yeah, it'll be a worse world. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always think that that REM song was very good because the end of the world as we know it. So I always try and say to people like the world's not going to end, but the world as you currently know it will end, uh, and it will be a different one that you probably isn't you know quite as good. Um, yeah, so it is, it's such a tricky one to get those messages across to people and, and aim to ins- leave people feeling at least slightly inspired or feel like they want to do stuff, but also be like, but you do realise that, you know, this is pretty, you know, serious stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, but it's good, you know, and I think it, I think the, the comedy is a great way to come at it. And, uh, but, you know, you get all the, you do get all the facts in this book and it does, I, it generally, I mean, I was thinking it's exactly that you, with what you've said in this, this podcast of just, you know, so what can I do and what's the best way of, what's the best way of moving forwards and, you know, what, what changes can I make, but also is there, is there anything bigger you can do or can encourage? So, you know, I, th- I think it, if, it, if everyone who reads it sort of even shifts a little bit, that's going to be yeah. a big help. So. And I think that's the main thing. You need as many people on board as possible to not to be like doing things, but you need them to be like, well, we need, we need to, you know, tax flights a bit more. And you need yeah. people to be like, well, I understand why we need to tax flights a bit more rather than being like, what, why are you doing this? It's nonsense. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. You know, and if people actually understand why, the policies that we need and they support those policies even though it's like okay it might be more we have to pay you know briefly but it, you know we're going to see the benefits and your children see the benefits and all that sort of stuff you know then uh i think people are pretty smart it's just yeah. it's just they need to to you know have the information uh and be able to digest it but how do you get people to spend time digesting information that they're like well this is fucking boring isn't it um there's a really good thing that was done a couple of years ago called the climate assembly um yeah where they got like a bunch of normal people and they just like picked them at random out of a lottery and took them and they spent like four weekends learning about climate change and you know it was like a real cross-section of the british public and they were just sort of basically taught climate change very, you know, quickly and then asked to come up with what their recommendations were. And then these recommendations were read out in Parliament and stuff. And it's brilliant because it's it shows you how if you give normal people the information and, and, and make the space in their life for them to think about this issue that affects their life quite a lot, then they do tend to come up with pretty sensible, you know, solutions and they tend sure. to care about it. And, and, and yeah, I think it's pretty pretty impressive there's a i think there's a documentary i hope it's still on the iPlayer called i think it's like the people versus climate change or something that was like a documentary done about that assembly but it's, it's okay. really yeah i think that's really um yeah the way the way to solve it is i think to for you to watch people that are like you caring about climate change 
and doing things about climate change. But to do that, you need to have, you know, not just me, but you need to have all different members of society being shown, you know, why this is relevant to them. And, you know, you need old ladies and you need teenagers and you need, every, you know, everybody from all walks of life because otherwise it does become quite sort of... Uh, yeah, it's a certain, you know, the idea that it's a sort of certain type of person that cares about climate change when yes, it's yeah. not at all, I think. So. No, no. Well, that's that's terrific. And I, well, I hope it'll do, you know, I hope it will make a difference. And I do recommend everyone uh, to read it or listen to it. Um, and uh, thank you for writing it. I think it's, you know, it does, it's, it, it's a, <laughs> it's a very, very important issue. Uh, and so hopefully, hopefully we'll start to, We'll start to take it seriously, you know, before... For long. <laughs> you know, in the next 40 Yeah, years. we'll get around to it. We can wait a little, we, we can wait a little <laughs> Why not wait a bit uh, longer? Well, thank you very much, Richard Herring. Very, uh, very appreci- appreciative of you having me on to talk about it. No, thanks for doing it, Matt. Uh, thank you also to Chris Evans, not that one, who is uh, working his magic behind the scenes. Uh, we're back next week, I think, with Catherine Rundell, who's written a fantastic book about John Donne, which I want to say is called Super Infinity, but it's something like that. I haven't got it in front of me. It's really good, though. So do uh, read that. You'll find it if you put John Dunn and Catherine Rundle into a, a search engine. Thank you very much, Matt. Goodbye.